0: You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome to the Devoted Podcast. Glad you guys are here. I'm not in my closet today because I have a guest with me today that gets to join, so I didn't feel like it was nice to drag her into the closet. So today I get to talk to somebody that is a friend and someone that I first got to meet several years ago about six. Okay, so you already heard her sweet voice. This is Tabita Dertenko, and back years ago, it seems almost like a totally different world. When I worked with weddings, I got to help out with this dear girl's wedding, and it was—they're stunning brides. Tabita, but you take the cake. It was amazing, guys. So, but the reason I have had—I've asked Tabita to come on. I don't think it's possible for anyone to have missed the fact that there is a major conflict going on in, between Russia and Ukraine everybody's seen the news. And Tabitha has kind of a unique perspective because she's been living with her husband in Moscow for the last two years. So Tabitha, thank you so much for doing this she was like, I don't know, why do you want me to do this? No, I so wanted her to come on. So I just want this to be a, just a conversation so that we can kind of hear her perspective. But I want you to get to know Tabitha, because one of the things that I do love is that I get to talk to somebody who's a podcast listener too. tabitha has been listening to the podcast in Moscow. They let you do that. huh? So tabitha thank you for doing this. So first of all, just tell us about who you are, a little bit of your own background. And then we'll kind of talk about where you've been for the last two years.
1: Well, I started going to AV about, 10 years ago, I come from a Mormon background. All of my dad's family is Mormon. I left the church when I was about 16 years old. At that point, I guess I was like agnostic. Like I didn't really know what I believed, but I was kind of down with everything. (laughs) But then in college, I started having some like interest of, you know, coming back to faith again. I didn't know exactly what that meant. I didn't know like what you know, a relationship with God really meant. Like I was very just kind of open and new to everything. (laughs) But then I met a group of friends, a Slavic group of friends that I really connected with a lot. They were just very kind and they had a lot of fun without drinking or anything. And to me, that was like really impressive because at that stage in my life, like I was getting involved with like friends who partied and, you know, stuff like that. And so I remember I went on a trip to Lake Shasta with this group of friends and it was like the first time I was meeting everybody and I called my mom and I was like, mom, she she was like, you know, how is it? And I was like, it's so great. Like everyone's having so much fun and nobody's even drinking. (laughs) She's like, okay. (laughs) So in that trip, I met a guy, Maxim. We like that trip, like the married people did like a competition and we ended up winning that competition together. It was like a singles competition. And uh, we were talking and he told me about Athey Creek and I was like, oh, it sounds interesting. Like maybe I'll take a visit. At the time, my friend Irina, she had been sort of leaving her the Slavic church that she was going to and she started going to Athey and she really loved it. And so I would go with her and through that process, like I think like just being exposed to a different type of Christianity and like one that... I guess, provided more answers than questions, because I was just, I had a lot of questions at the time. Like, I wanted to know everything about everything. And Pastor Brett, I remember, said, like, you know, if you don't believe me, look this up yourself. And that was something that was, like, really monumental for me, because in the Mormon church, anytime I asked any questions, it was always like, you know, oh, pray about this or it'll be revealed to you or something like that. And when you're like a solid believer, that means a lot. But when you're questioning a lot of things, it doesn't really mean a lot to you because you just really want someone to tell you, like for you to be able to find answers to exactly what you want to know. So for me, like also like questions weren't really encouraged in Mormon church. So I just felt like when Pastor Brett was like, like, look this up yourself. I was like, wow, like we can do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so you and Maxim, you
0: guys met at Athe then. Well, I guess you came later. Yeah,
1: yeah we okay. met at this like Lake Shasta trip, yeah. but he was consistently going. I think he's been going to Athe since like middle school days. But he wasn't, like, super involved with, you know, because he had his own group of friends and stuff. So when did you become a believer then? I became a believer probably about two to three years after that. So it was, like, my journey was not—sometimes Christians have these, like, amazing, you know, like, aha moments and, you know, beautiful moments and stuff. Mine was, like, a very extended, long, like, period of, like, questions and— my best friend, Irina Foksha, she, you know, she would like answer all my questions and we would fight and I would cry and she would <laughs> cry. And I would just yell at her like, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. And she just had a lot of patience to just like sit with me and like, well, let's like look into this together. Mm-hmm. And she was just really like that great friend that I needed at the time that like had a background of like mm-hmm. knowing a lot about the Bible. So that's eventually kind of what brought me to the Lord. Was... I love that. And I think that's actually
0: so good to hear, because sometimes you do hear the stories where it, it was just like you they knew in that moment, this was like a, a pivotal time in their life. But for you, it was, you know, a lot of questions and en- engaging with people in Scripture. And I love that. That's really cool. So tell me about, because
1: I know your background is diverse. Tell me your, and Max's as well. So give me all that. So I'm from Brazil. I was born there. I moved to the United States when I was six and uh, moved to a little tiny town in Washington called Rochester. <laughs> Max also immigrated to the United States. He was born in Odessa, Ukraine, and which is a Russian-speaking city, which is why he speaks Russian, which is how he was able to get his job in Moscow. And he moved here when he was four. So, And he comes from a really big family. So his parents left everything in Ukraine, you know, they brought little that they could to the states. I believe they came here as refugees. So and that was long ago, you know, because of yeah. basically they come under the the guise of religious persecution in Ukraine at the time.
0: And it's been I've been learning this over the years. There's a pretty extensive community of Russian and Ukrainian people that are part of Athe, and I'm sure people that are listening to this wherever they are. But that's been amazing to me to see just the, how large the community is, I guess, especially as you're, you think about a conflict that it seems all the way across the world. But you know, it's really affecting the people that are right here. So is Max's, you said his family is pretty big here?
1: Yeah, he has a big family. I think a lot of Slavic families have big families. I used to joke like when I first kind of got introduced to the Slavic world is, if you know one Slavic, you know like 50, (laughs) because it is such a huge community. And I think as a Brazilian, I felt a lot of connection with their culture because we have a lot of similarities, which you would never guess because it's just two totally different parts of the world. But like family values and like things like that, I just... Like I connected a lot with that, which is why I think a lot of my friends are Slavic now. So So then how this, you know,
0: we got to talk a little bit before this and you had an opportunity or Max had an opportunity to be take a job in Moscow for the last two years. Right. Tell everybody the story about how you guys left and when you were leaving, because it's kind of crazy how that all came down. So just walk us through the timing of all of that.
1: So his boss basically came to him and was like, hey, like there's this job coming open in Moscow. Would you be interested at all? You know, because he knew that he was Russian speaking and that he would be a good fit for that job. And he was just kind of like, Uh, I think in his head, he's just like, well, my family left there. Like, I don't know that we would be interested in going back. But he came home to me that day and he's like, hey, like, this is kind of random, but what do you think about this idea? And at the time, like, word for word, I told him, like, Heck no. Like, not in a million years, if it was the last place on Earth, would I go there? (laughs) So you were, you know, really calm and really middle of the road about it. Very neutral. Yeah. He still laughs and tells people that because it's just funny that how, like, things work out in the end. You just never expect that you're going to go to the places you're going to go. But yeah, just because, like, the ideas that I had about Russia before we went, the things I was taught in school and about, like, what Russia's about. And it's always the bad guy in movies, you know? (laughs) Like, the people are always, there's this impression that they're harsh and rude and mean and all these things. So I'm like, of course I don't want to go there, (laughs) you know. And it's cold. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what I told to him when that idea was kind of brought up. And then, like, some months went by and everything, and I think they really needed somebody there. Mm -hmm. And so, again, his boss approached him and was like, you know, what do you think about this, you know. And because I think Max gave him a neutral answer kind of in the beginning. And so he came home to me and I have no idea why. I just like my heart just kind of opened to that idea. I still to this day have no idea where the switch happened, but I was just like, all right, let's do it. (laughs) And he's like, wait, really? (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) And I'm like, well, let's pray about it. You know, let's take some weeks if we can to just kind of pray about like this is a huge move. Yeah. Like we ha- we're very rooted in Portland, and we have a huge community here, and we love to be with our friends and with our family. So, it's it was such a huge sacrifice, and so we prayed about it for a few weeks. I was praying for the Lord to just really make it very a hundred percent clear, because in the past I had prayed about things, and like sometimes it didn't feel totally clear, and in the end you just kind of have to make a decision, you know, and I just prayed for the Lord to just not make that the thing. I just was like, you know, God, if this is what we're supposed to do, like make it be something we absolutely cannot refuse. And like, it would be hard to say no to. And like, just, I want complete clarity on this. And um, that's exactly what the Lord delivered. And I just felt like complete clear, you know, clarity that like this is what we're supposed to do a hundred percent. And so we just kind of dove into it.
0: (laughs) So you have been there for the last two years and see you guys don't get to see lovely Tabata sitting with me, but she is pregnant and lovely. How far along are you?
1: I have like three months left. Three months left.
0: Okay. So you've been living there for two years. And what was your plan as far as, you know, when you were going to leave Russia or were you going to stay? What was the plan?
1: Initially, we had just sort of planned to be there for two to three years, but we didn't know maybe it could be longer because he wasn't on some kind of contract or anything. And we thought, oh, maybe even after that, we could do like a different European assignment. And, you know, we're having all these dreams like, oh, it's so close to Europe and we'll be able to... To, for $50, just you know, go on a weekend trip or something. But of course, COVID. <laughs> that
0: is true. So that's important to bring up. So you moved over there like, and then COVID hit almost right after, right?
1: Yeah. So basically because the timing between when we applied for our visa and to give a little background on the whole visa process, it was like a six-month process for us, mm-hmm. which if you talk to international people, like that's very long for a visa process, but I think because of the fact that Max is from Ukraine, so that was his birthplace. Obviously, relations are not the best. They haven't been for a while. Plus, the fact that his previous job, he traveled a lot and he had a lot of visas to different countries, and so it looked sketchy on paper. <laughs> so that was a long process. And then by the time we had decided to go to Russia, and then by the time we actually left, I mean, that was bringing us into basically the very beginning of March 2020. (laughs) So basically what happened is we got on the second to last flight out of New York City before everything shut down. And uh, we landed in, in Moscow. We had a few days, maybe a week, to figure out all of our bank things, like, you know, getting Russian SIM cards and getting our... Stuff all situated because in Moscow, you cannot order like groceries or anything. You can't use an app with like an American card. You have to use like a Russian bank card. So we had kind of been seeing everything kind of happening in the U.S. Toilet paper is like gone off the shelves. So was
0: toilet paper out in Russia too?
1: Okay. (laughs) No. Grietchka was. That was a is buckwheat in Russian. It's like a very popular food. It's a dry good. And okay. so all of that was off the shelves, but the trolley beaver was fine. <laughs> so yeah, we barely had enough time and like our pandemic process in Moscow was totally different than I think what you guys experienced here. So ours was very much like a European lockdown. Like we weren't allowed to leave our apartment for like two whole months. You had to order in all of your groceries. If you lived within a certain you know, distance from a grocery store, you could walk there, you know, and then back <laughs> to your apartment. If you had a dog, you were allowed to walk it around the block and that's it. You had Then you had to come home.
0: So not exactly the sightseeing trips you that know. you had envisioned, <laughs> I can imagine.
1: Very strange way to come to a new city that you've never been to before. But yeah, so that's kind of how we essentially arrived there and kind of started. So you lived in Moscow, so two months of
0: lockdown. Then after that, what was that like?
1: So during that two-month period, because we obviously really wanted to find a local church there. And meanwhile, during that time, we would listen to Pastor Brett's teachings and I would listen to your podcast from home. But during that time, we had a gal from a couple, I should say, from Hillsong Church in Moscow reach out to us. And they like, you know, oh, we have this online connect group. You guys should join. But I think Max and I were both hesitant. We didn't want to like commit to a church without being able to kind of like see, you know, everything.
0: And you couldn't see because everything was locked
1: down. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So we kind of like said no at first for a couple weeks, but they were like really just (laughs) adamant every week. (laughs) Yeah, persistent. And would invite us, like, all the time. They were so kind. So finally we were like, okay, <laughs> like, we'll join. And so we did that online connect group for quite a while until I think in the second month of lockdown, they Russia started doing phase two of lockdowns, which was you were given, like, a QR code. And that QR code stated, like, where you're coming from and where you're going. And so if you were stopped by police, they requested for you to show them the QR code. And if you were outside of that region, you would get like a really huge fine or they could even take you to jail or something. Mm -hmm. So we didn't play around (laughs) with that stuff being new and foreigners like. And of course, I still have all these like crazy, like horrible ideas of Russia in my mind, like how it's dangerous and like mafias on the streets and all this because I hadn't seen anything at this point yet. So, yeah, that's kind of how. You know, I want to hear about how you got out of Russia and all of that, too. But you shared with
0: me a little bit about that community group that you were in. And you even kind of started taking the charge and you put a a group of gals together and things like that. I mean, I love that because I think here you are all the way on the other side of the world putting together these groups. And I don't know why that seems harder to us. But yet we don't do it here very much. I mean, it's kind of hard for us to gals to have this initiative to get people together and get into the word together and stuff. So I love you. Uh, you had some initiative with that. So, what did that look like when you guys started doing your group and stuff over there?
1: The home group stuff, Hillsong is very intentional about, like, you know, being really active in the community and getting people together. And that's kind of, I felt like that's where. A lot of their focus was on. And so we immediately got brought into this group. I think at that point I hadn't hosted for quite a while. I think if anybody knows us here in town, like we host a lot. Like we love to gather together. Like my husband and I both love doing it. And so for us, like to be locked away for two whole months was just like really horrible. (laughs) So I kind of immediately was just, I think once they had introduced these QR codes, some people in this home group had sort of mentioned that they were open to like using their QR code for work. And then they could like come to our house, like for dinner. So You know, I was like, yes, absolutely. Come over for dinner. And so we kind of met every like a few people for the first time at that point. And what
0: is it like to find? It can't be like it is here in the United States. If you just want to go find a church, how exactly do you go about finding a church? Because you probably wanted an English speaking church or do you were doing a Russian speaking church?
1: Well, in Moscow, your options are very limited, especially like we really wanted somewhere that had English translation because at that point I couldn't understand any Russian at all. Now I can, but, but back then it was, you know. So that was priority number one and really the only church that we found that like I guess, like, advertise that they did that was Hillsong. That was kind of our only choice. So we were kind of, okay, like, let's just make it work. Like, even if we don't totally agree with everything, like, all of the things that they do, let's just try to make the most of it. And I think that's where these home groups and, like, these other women's groups came in is because we just, I just really felt like Athe Creek really prepared us for that season. Mm-hmm. I felt like we had so much knowledge base to draw from. And sometimes when we saw like certain gaps, perhaps in like teaching or something, like it was like such an opportunity to bring that into our home groups and like open the conversation for like really deep conversation. And like, I think as Christians, especially if You live in the United States. We kind of, at least how I felt in my group here is that we all are kind of in the same place. Like we have a common understanding of biblical truth. And so you just assume that people are kind of in the same like wavelength as you. And like in Moscow, we found that to not be the case at all. And so sometimes these conversations would come up that I've never had with a friend before because we never really had to talk about that because we were just kind of in the same you know thought process with it and so it was really like a challenge where like the lord puts people in your life and like they're asking you these questions and you're just like oh oh my gosh like how do i answer this like it really kind of puts you under fire of like you know do you know the word like do you know like why jesus died for your sins like do you know like the basics of why you do what you do you know And then to have to put that into words and practice and like kind of, there's like eyes watching you of like how your marriage is going and like, you know, how you treat each other at home and all this. Like, it was really like such a huge eye-opener for me. Had to put our faith into action and to not just like say the things and like, but also do the things. So that was amazing.
0: And I would imagine you had a lot of different cultural, different groups, right? Because it seems like that would be, I mean, there was some English speaking, or were they originally all from Russia? Where were all the the people in your group? Where were they from?
1: Well, so we ended up leading basically the English speakers of Hillsong. So anybody who could speak English was kind of, they were our group was open to them. So we had some Russians, we had Ukrainians, we had people from different regions in Africa, we had someone from England and South America, different countries there and Finland and all these different like my circle was more diverse in Moscow than I think it's ever been, (laughs) which is really funny because like the U.S. is actually the melting pot, you know. (laughs) So once you were able, you got past lockdown and you were able, it
0: sounds like Russia lived life actually a little more normally past that than we all have here in the United States, which is crazy to me. But how did the picture of what Russia really is, how did that go with, you know, your previous biases of, of what you thought and understood? What was the culture like?
1: I think a lot of things are kind of accurate, a little bit of what we assume about Russia as far as like a little bit of a, well, I'll kind of separate the two because Russia is different than Moscow those are very okay separate. and you said that to
0: me before too tell us what that distinction is because I had not heard that before
1: so Moscow is beautiful it's you know first world it's very technology you know, advanced and it has a lot of great products and there's tons of industry. You have apps for everything. Like Mm -hmm. it's a very modern, gorgeous city. I think to visit, it's incredible. Russia is not that way Mm -hmm. (laughs) because most of Russia's wealth is focused in Moscow and in Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg. And so a lot of other cities kind of fall under the cracks, I would say. So a typical Russian village, you know, you have grandma going to the well to get her water and you have an outhouse outside of your home to go to the bathroom. And you have a pietchka, which is like they heat their homes. It's like a little fireplace, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's most of Russia. That is most of Russia. Yeah, that's typical Russia. So, But people would never think that because I think think most of what we see out of coming out of Russia is actually Moscow. And mm-hmm. so there's this idea that Russia is so powerful. And, you know, like there's all of these ideas of Russia that when you're there, you're just like, oh, this is very different, <laughs> you know, because a few times we left the Moscow region and we went into like the more real Russia, you know? And um, I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked at what I saw.
0: So as you, it, but over like the people that you met and that kind of stuff, I mean, I think that we have, like you said, there's American Ideas that we have of what the people are like. And I think that was one of the things that I really wanted to be able to hear from you because I think it's real easy to hear headlines and hear some of these things, these just heartbreaking stories that are coming out of Ukraine right now, and forget that these are real people that are there. And we just kind of lose the humanity, I think, sometimes. Yes, a picture says a lot, but it's different. Like you talked to these people, you were around the people that are just like us, you know, in a lot of ways. So what talk about just like the people that you met and what it maybe some even what the environment's like there, maybe in between Russia and Ukraine. What is
1: that like? So most of the people I was exposed to were Moscow people. And I would say that in Moscow, it's similar to what we would find in New York City. And like, I don't know that Portland people would connect with the culture of New York very much because you have it's the hustle and bustle gotta go you know like don't have a whole lot of time to connect and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of more of a distant relationship you know here it's different like people are very kind there so that's how i would compare like moscow people to maybe like village people village Mm -hmm. people are very hospitable, very open, so kind, you know. You don't necessarily see that a whole lot Mm -hmm. in Moscow. You still do if, like, maybe that person is from the village, perhaps. But the culture, you don't get a sense of that same type of people group as you do in the village. And um, I would say the things that we assume about people in Russia, I think it's very much, like, more Moscow people. Because I think most of Russia considers Moscovites to be harsh, to be, like rough around the edges, you know, like intense, (laughs) kind of like how we consider New Yorkers. (laughs) That was interesting for me just to see the difference there between, you know, like Russian people versus Moscow people. And that's kind of how I always say it, because I do think they're very different, Mm -hmm. you know, is there's Russian people and there's Moscow people.
0: (laughs) So you were there for a couple of years and then obviously all of the news changed. What escalated you guys in actually getting out of Russia? Was it this situation already had plans to leave? What were you what was the plan with that?
1: With leaving Russia, we initially, because we found out we were pregnant, we knew we couldn't deliver our baby in Russia because the American embassy there is essentially non functioning. Basically, they can't do any kind of birth abroad paper documentation or anything. We just knew we were going to come back, but we thought it was going to be like more towards like April slash maybe even May was the last wow. time my doctor said I could travel. But. <laughs> Things uh, kind of took a turn really quickly. So So walk us through those last couple days, because
0: that's a pretty amazing story.
1: You know, Friday, this was like two weeks ago now, you know, Max was offered a new job. This was a a job that he had been applying for for quite a while. And they had just let him know that they wanted him. So then we had just just basically started to make plans for, you know, our exit and everything. Saturday, like my friends threw a surprise baby shower. (laughs) Like, still everything's normal. Sunday, we went to church like normal. We I remember we had conversations with locals like, hey, like, what do you think is going to happen? Because at that point, there was these conversations about, like, the U.S. declaring, like, this day Russia's going to invade Ukraine, and this day they're going to. But what we were hearing in Moscow was that the West is being dramatic. The West is creating panic. That's not going to happen. Absolutely not, you know we would never do that. (laughs) And even when we talked to locals, you know, oh, what do you think is going to happen? They were all just kind of like, oh, nothing, you know, like, this is not new news for us. Like, you know, for the past eight years, there's been stuff going on. And, you know, there's been places that Russia has taken over before, but it's like our life here in Moscow will not be affected at all. So we were just like, okay, like, okay, you know. And then Sunday night, that evening, we were getting ready for bed. And my husband always checks his emails before he goes to bed. And so there was an email from the American embassy. And in this email, it basically told people to be very careful, Americans to be very careful to avoid crowded areas because there had been like media reports that there was going to be terrorist attacks in Moscow, to avoid like the center of the city, to avoid protests of any sort and also to prepare to have a evacuation plan prepared that does not involve the US government and they specifically use that language. So we were just like, "Oh, okay, like this is a lot more serious than I think we had sort of initially thought. So I immediately messaged my friend. She's also from Portland. She lives in Moscow. And so she's a U.S. citizen. And so I knew that she got these emails too. And I was just like, did you get this? Like, what's, you know, what's going on? And she told me that she had a friend at church that day that she was speaking with who got a call from her parents who had been in the Russian military long ago. Now they're in their 50s, but they got a call from the Russian military basically stating that they should basically, uh, go get their physicals to prepare for war, essentially. The 50-year-old parents? Yes. Wow. (laughs) So I showed that to my husband, and we were both just like, oh my gosh, like, I think there's something bigger going on here that we don't know about. So I was thinking, you know, okay, like, everybody's sleeping right now, but, like, people are going to wake up in the morning, they're going to see this email, and then, like, everyone's going to book tickets out. (laughs) So, like, let's just have tickets, you know, for Tuesday morning, just to have, like, we don't know if we're going to actually fly out, but like, just to make sure we have some tickets, you know, and then we can decide tomorrow, like what we end up doing. So Monday comes, like, you know, we've made sure we got like a good night's sleep that night. And then I had some really kind friends from our home group. They came over, they were helping me clean my house and get it ready just in case we were gonna be leaving. We had like, we called it our last supper <laughs> together. <laughs> we had some burritos. And then like around four or 5 p.m., my husband, uh, he was like checking the media and stuff and he was like, I really think we should go like tonight. And I was just like, I don't know. Cause we had already, we also booked like backup tickets for Thursday. And so I'm like, let's take the Thursday flight. Like I need more time, like I'm pregnant. Like, you know, I don't know what to pack. Like all these things that, you know, pop into your head. And I think naturally as a wife, I'm not always like, I'm not really like the best like submissive wife. I definitely like fight back (laughs) on certain things, but there was just something in me that day that was like, submit to your husband and like do what he thinks is best. And he was just very firm on like, I really think we should leave tonight because he was praying about it. And he just really felt like the strong, like go. So we, four hours, we packed whatever we could into our suitcases. We didn't think that this was going to happen, but we thought something could happen. And we just figured, oh, you know, we'll have his company come and like pack up the rest of our stuff. It's fine, we'll just pack like what we need for the next maybe three months, you know. So we did that, and then when we were like bags in hand exiting our apartment building, it was about 11 p.m., I think, Monday night. And uh, Putin addressed the nation. He did his like big address. It was like an hour long history lesson about Ukraine and how they're brothers. And that seems like an unusual time for a press conference, was it? Well, a lot of people are saying like that message wasn't intended for Russians. That was definitely intended for America. (laughs) Oh, I see. And so that (laughs) was the time of day. Yeah, because it's about an 11, I think an 11 hour time difference between us. So that's daytime. Sunday for, for the US. Okay. <laughs> so we're exiting. This address is coming on. It's a very eerie, like it's a very unusual address that he, he doesn't typically do these. It's not common to have these kind of things. And the tone that he was using was very strange. Even Russian people will tell you that. So we headed to the airport. You know, we had to get there early because of COVID tests and all that, sure. waiting for results and everything. So, and our friends, like they're so kind from our home group they met us there and like saw us off made sure we got on the flight you know and then yeah we took that flight and then when we landed in Portland basically the very next day is when when Russia invaded Ukraine.
0: Just in the nick of time. And now, you know, it's been a couple of weeks by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be probably another week or so. What are the people going through right now? Like, you know, this is where our heart needs to be for, you know, just the people. How can we be praying for the people that are there? And what are you hearing from the people that you still know that are in Russia and what they're going through?
1: I think there's so much division, I think, right now between like Russians and Ukrainians. It's really just very unfortunate as well like between believers which is I think the saddest part because you know this is not our world even though we have certain ethnic backgrounds like we don't belong here like Mm our belonging is with Jesus. And so it's very heartbreaking to see like, just such division between Ukrainians and Russians and this involvement in politics, which of course, like it's completely understandable because there's so much emotion, you know, and people are losing loved ones and people are in desperation. You know, we have mothers giving birth in bunkers and you know, it's just horrible, really horrible. But I found that the sentiment here back home has been so different than when what I saw when I was in Moscow. Like mm. I felt like there was a lot of unity in Moscow that this is very horrible. Like I think people didn't even th- that's why they were like of course this isn't going to happen. Of course mm. like Putin is not going to invade Russia. That's ridiculous. Like why would he do that, you know? Mm. That was back at that point. I think now as time has kind of gone on, I've seen there there is starting to be a lot more division between like what people think about all this. Mm in russia but i think the biggest thing for us to pray for as believers is obviously for peace but also for unity amongst believers because that doesn't do anything when we're like pointing fingers and like you know i can't believe you think that and you know all this stuff and even for myself like i have a lot of emotional investment in this it's hard for me to even like you know and i don't have family members in ukraine who are you know running for their lives and all these horrible things. So I can't imagine like how much emotional investment that is for like someone who actually has like parents there right now and siblings and whatever, you know, but I think just praying for the Lord to create unity because Satan wants division. That's what he thrives under. And so we can't give that to him. (laughs) I think if we give that to him, then we've lost, I think, the point of what we're supposed to be doing, you know, here. How has this
0: or and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how has this affected, you know, just the everyday lives of friends that were part of your church uh, back in Russia? I know I think a lot of them you said,
1: did they all leave the country or are they still there that were in your community group? A lot of the foreigners have left because it's kind of unsafe at the moment. There's talk that there could be like retaliatory actions against foreigners. So I think there's just a lot of fear of, you know being basically charged with something that you're not guilty of, you know, which is common to happen in Russia. Also, like, the financial part of it is really difficult. We have people that we know that, like, they're assets have been seized they they can't use their visa cards like they've lost their jobs like we know a lot of people in our church have lost jobs there's prices of things are like growing exponentially so things are becoming unaffordable because of protests happening in russia because people a lot of people are very against this it's become quite dangerous i think and i think right now it hasn't completely hit all the way yet but with all these sanctions like you could definitely see how it will get there to where you know because essentially this has really kind of brought Russia back to the 90s you know and being isolated from the rest of the world which is very scary I think for a lot of people especially if you're a young person and you've never experienced that before and like your life in Moscow has always just been great and you can travel whenever you want to travel and do all these things and now your Russian passport is like your enemy, (laughs) like nobody wants, you know, a lot of places have closed off to Russian passport holders. So it's just very, very heartbreaking for Ukrainians, obviously, but also for Russian people it's heartbreaking because they didn't choose this. They had this chosen for them and now they have limited options on what they can do, where they can go, you know, the work that they can have. So it's just truly heartbreaking. I think it is that people side of things that I hope kind of stops
0: all of us in the West, if I can use Russia's word for us, because it feels sometimes like we become so inundated with just information all the time. And there's so much input of all the different things and all the different biases and and, and the different opinions, whether it's political, all the things that I just don't think until... I, you know, you and I got to talk for a couple hours last week, and what I hope that people hear just out of your voice is I almost just want them to hear the voice of people that are all the way over there, even though you're not living the life that they're living in. But you as an immigrant, you had said that you at one point, you said that you were one decision away or your parents, one decision away from that being you or, you know, these being the the life that you're living in, that kind of reality. And I think for a lot of the people in our Slavic community here, they still have family members over there. So the one of the things that I was thinking about as we as women and the the role that we play in our own home, in the conversations that we have with our friends or whatever that looks like, you have already spoken to it a little bit by just saying that there needs to be unity and there needs to be, I would even add to that, there just needs to be a love between Nationalities between, you know, ethnic groups, but because primarily we're not, this is not our world. This is, you know, we have a home in heaven and this life is just not it. And we need to have that eternal perspective. But what would you say to, you know, just how we can have that kind of conversation that's perhaps. A little less alarmist and a little more, you know, just driving the conversation towards that unity and towards love. What What is that? Because I'm sure you're having a lot of those conversations right now. What does that sound like to you?
1: I think first and foremost, when you're talking to someone who has a lot of emotional investment in a certain topic, whatever that may be, maybe they're grieving something, maybe, you know, it's politics or whatever it is. I think, first of all, it's coming to the conversation with like a curiosity And like wanting to know more, not just coming with assumptions that you know what that person's going through or like, you know, where they stand with things and not bringing your own opinions into play. there. just listening, you know, asking questions, finding out more about their family, more about, you know, if they have if you're speaking to a Slavic person, like finding out like what their views are and just kind of being more open, you know, in the beginning, just asking, like, can I pray with you? you know, let's pray together. How can I help? Like, there's so much that people can do to help right now if they have that calling in their heart, you know, to do that. So many organizations who are helping Ukrainian families and hosting them and giving them food and you know, supplies and all of that. And so there's so much that we can do if someone feels like they would want to help with something. But first and foremost, starting with like that open dialogue of curiosity and just listening, you know, to what they have to say. And then like, let's pray together. Like, I think that I found in Moscow, like that moment that you have with someone where you're just like right now, like, not like, oh, I'll be praying for you. But like, Let's pray right now, like together and like, let's just cry out to the Lord together in this. And I think that's true empathy, like walking with someone instead of just like, let me know what you need, you know, from a distance. It's like, well, no, like, let me just do this for you or let me just like walk with you in this. And that means so much to people, I think.
0: I think that is so good. And I think so what we need to, we just need to be reminded of that. We talk a lot on the podcast just of like these times feel intense anyway, right? And so often we referred to that passage that I love about, you know, the days are evil, so I don't want to waste them. And sometimes even that moment of going, yeah, I'll pray for you, but Sometimes that's a wasted moment right there, because you could just be praying for that person with that person right then and there. And we need to be reminded that, first of all, prayer is not something that is like, well, you know, this is all I can do. It should be the first thing on our, our list like this. We can do. We can pray and a mighty God can go before us in ways that our finances, anything else couldn't touch. But like you also said, there are organizations and things that of people that are helping, you know, as uh, Samaritan's Purse has medical facilities that are going over there in, in Poland. And I know there's all kinds of different private organizations that are doing those things. And I'm with you. It's like if the Lord puts that call on your heart to do something, don't just sit there with it and go, Oh, well, that's nice. No, do it. And then I also just like also just want to say for moms, you have an opportunity to lead conversations among your kids and maybe even your kids' friends. There's been lots of times where I've had a bunch of kids in my car, you know, because they gotta be a little concerned too by some of the things that they hear. And we get to Lead these kids and our friends, and those that we are have you know just in contact, we get to kind of lead those conversations with a bit more of this eternal perspective of man, the Lord is in control of all of this, uh, there's nothing that is out of his hand. So, maybe being a little bit of a voice of calm, but then at the same time, not just leaving empty words or you know, I'll be praying, but really be praying and being obedient to what the Lord would put on your heart. I think that that is something that every one of us gets to do something with that. It's that's not for someone else. That's not for somebody that has a relation of somebody who's in Ukraine or in Russia. I think every single one of us as believers, we get to do that for the church. That's in Russia and in Ukraine. So I hope that's what we do with that. Any final thoughts, anything you want to leave us
1: with? I think just to add on to what you were saying about like, you know, having kids in the car and opening conversations and stuff. I think as Christians, as believers, it is our responsibility to put anger and contention to rest. And so I think if you're in a group where, you know, the conversation comes up about Russia versus Ukraine and there's anger and there's like, you know, words being thrown out of insults and things like that. I think it like it's such a great opportunity for us as believers to just be like, hey, like and take that conversation in a different direction. You know, when you're in the car with kids and maybe they heard something at school, somebody say something about how Russians are evil or I don't know, some kind of comment like that, just like correcting that and kind of taking it into a new direction like it's not us versus them you know they're and kind of explaining that russian people are not putin (laughs) and there's a difference there you know i do think that having those conversations i think is so healthy because you know like we're not our politicians american people are not our politicians same thing in other parts of the world and that's important to bring that like humanity back and that you know that love for each other
0: Oh well, Tabitha, thank you so much for doing this. I, it's been so fun to get to talk to you, and I hear you're not staying around the Pacific Northwest for long, but Texas, right? Yes. So Texas, you're getting a winner. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, but thank you for doing this, and and gals, as we close, I just en- I just encourage you to just pray about this. Pray about what the Lord would put on your heart to do and uh, whether it's just a conversation you have with uh, friends or your own kids or just around your own table or maybe the Lord would ask you to do something different. But I um, be encouraged that when hard times come, the Lord and the church is still moving and still growing and the Lord can do so much, almost particularly in these really, really difficult times. So pray for the church in Ukraine. Pray for Christians in Russia and just be reminded that the Lord he is sovereign and he's got all of this in control. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athy Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at com.